Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. Uh, This week I want to talk essentially about a sequel to what I put up last week. Uh, It was about my commitment to and now about my efforts to reach out to the homeless individuals in our community, uh, specifically in our campus community. After being kind of moved by uh, the homelessness in Philadelphia and taking some advice on how to better engage with folks that I probably hadn't engaged with before. Um, I would also add for those of you who prefer my writing to my voice, I promise to get back to writing soon. Um, I've just had some very good stuff going on professionally and some opportunities maybe on the horizon that have taken up a lot of my time lately, but I'm working very hard to get back to my commitment to write on a weekly basis. So thank you for bearing with me, and hopefully these podcasts have been uh, useful as well. Uh, This week I'm sharing an article I wrote on October 6th of 2018 uh, about those efforts to come back home and put some things I had learned into actual action. It's called Poverty-Informed Practice in Higher Education from Theory to Action. When I returned home from real college last Monday night, I was ignited and overwhelmed all at once. The enormity of the issues facing our students was never clearer, and it was hard to actually know where to begin. As I mentioned in our earlier podcast, the reality of homelessness in Philadelphia was moving, and I came home wanting to do something. After hearing Mark Horvath of Invisible People say that the greatest barrier to solving homelessness was our inability to relate to it, I decided to take the advice he'd given me in Philadelphia and go out and see if I could do a little to help and meet people as people. I made up some woefully inadequate introductory kits. Uh, It was a glad bag and two pairs of socks and some granola bars in each of them, like a Ziploc bag. And I hoped those would break the ice and I could see what else people might need and perhaps even preach the gospel of poverty-informed education that we were trying so hard to offer. My associate, Dean Mandy, who had been so moved the weekend before, wanted to come along, so we waited until Friday. Right before lunchtime, we threw a few Ziploc bags in my messenger bag and put some in her bag as well and set off to the neighborhood around the college. We started out at the park across from our administrative center, which has had a number of people in it all summer, but is emptier now as the weather is changing and things are getting colder. On this particular day, we could only see two people. There was a man sleeping next to a wheelchair, and about 20 feet away from him there was a young woman. We didn't want to wake anyone up, so we decided to approach the young woman, at which point I quickly realized we had no real plan. Hi, are you staying out here? Is what came out of my mouth. She responded, no, I'm just waiting for a friend, which was clearly not true. Now I began to see this exchange through her eyes and realized what I saw as two very nice adults looking to help could be seen very differently for a vulnerable young woman alone in a park. Mandy could sense the awkwardness as well and jumped in and asked if the young woman was a student at Western and told her that we worked at Western. Mandy also assured her that we were not selling anything or handing out Bibles or anything else that might make her nervous. 
Unfortunately, that didn't seem to ease her anxiety, and in hindsight, it might have sounded like we were telling her she couldn't be there. At this point, I knew we needed to move on, but I desperately wanted to reassure her. I said, my name is Chad, this is my friend Mandy, and we are just seeing what we can do to help people. The young woman let down her guard a little and told us her name was Maddie. But as we walked away, she quickly got up and walked across the street to the public library. It was hard to believe we had done anything but frighten her. It was not an auspicious beginning. After our less than successful encounter with Maddie, we walked on and engaged in some gallows humor about how bad we were at this, but we resolved to keep trying. Our discomfort seemed mild in comparison to the people we were meeting. A couple blocks away, we came across a young man sitting in a sleeping bag next to a bicycle. I still didn't have a good opener, so I went with, Hi, how are you, this time. Fortunately for me, he was very friendly and outgoing and said hi back. I offered my package of socks and granola bars, and he enthusiastically accepted. I introduced myself, and he said his name was Brandon. Mandy asked him what else he thought he might need, and he said he wasn't interested in money. But if we could ever help him with a good bike lock, it would help him protect his bike. The idea of him having to sleep with one eye open to protect that very important asset has stuck with me. I asked Brandon a little about how he had ended up outdoors, and he said he didn't want to stay at the Salvation Army currently, and felt like he had what he needed where he was. I asked if he had ever considered coming to school, and to my surprise he said he was a student at Western. When I asked what he was studying, he said he was just brushing up right now, but was thinking about our paralegal program. As he said brushing up, I realized I had seen him before, and he was a student in my department. This was real college indeed. As we were talking with Brandon, we were quickly approached by a couple from further down the block. The man introduced himself as John Johnson from Wisconsin, and his partner introduced herself as Lynn. John was a frenetic character and took a bag of socks and immediately put on a clean pair. Lynn was more reticent and said the socks probably wouldn't fit in her shoes because they were thick athletic socks. We made a note to have some bags with socks for women the next time we went out. When we asked what else they might need, Lynn mentioned a cup of coffee cost 94 cents, and John said he could use a couple dollars too. We were glad to help out. As we got to know each other, Lynn shared that she had been on the streets for three years. I asked what they did as the weather got colder, and they mentioned that the warming center in town would open November 1st for overnights. And when I asked what they would do during the winter days, they simply said, survive. Lynn shared that she had four children she didn't see very often, and it was very hard to get off the streets once you were on them. She said she struggled with alcoholism for much of her life as well. Now Mandy may believe in education as the path out of poverty more than anyone I know, so she jumped right in and asked Lynn if she had ever considered coming back to school. Lynn said she wasn't really thinking about it, but had considered going back for a GED, maybe. Our college is three blocks from where Lynn was staying and she didn't know anything about it. We told her the classes were free, the building is warm, and we provide snacks for guests. Her interest perked up, and maybe we will see her soon. What an audacious act of courage it would be to pursue her GED. Wouldn't it be our moral imperative to do everything we could to make that happen? And if nothing else, 
Lynn knows there is a place in town where she could be warm, get a little something to eat, and people would believe she has a future. I wish I'd been brave enough that day to ask those three to let me take a picture, but I didn't. I hope to see them again, and take one if they will let me. I can't help but just hope they are safe. I drove by their spot yesterday and they weren't there, so I'm not sure how permanent it is. So, it was an interesting morning with a pretty bumpy start and a finish that showed us the humanity of people in our community. Poverty Informed Practice says relationships matter, contexts matter, and community matters. If we are serious about trying to help people change their economic reality and the arc of their future stories, it seems we must start by simply engaging. It was an emotional morning, and the things we could bring to them seemed so woefully inadequate, and our own lives seemed so privileged and a little ridiculous in comparison. Lynn had thanked us for stopping to talk and said many people act like they aren't even there. It was embarrassing to think I had walked past people just five days earlier in another city. It is hard to know what to do or where to start, but eye contact and some socks at least started a conversation with people who had names and life stories, and maybe just a little more hope after our time together.